0: And welcome to this week's edition of an organic conversation, a show about food, ecology, stories from the land, recipes, nature, sustainability, interconnectedness, relationships, and life itself. It's the beginning of the year, and you may have made a new year's resolution or two about your diet. And oh, there's so many options. Go vegan, vegetarian, do a meatless Monday, be gluten-free, or pescatarian or explore a paleo diet and see how that works for you. In this hour, we are highlighting a lovely project about bowls and friends and soup and love, all with a paleo diet twist. The paleo point of view, keeping it real, is our topic today. Here in an organic conversation with a fantastic guest, a paleo diet expert and soup whisperer. That's what's coming up today. We are your hosts, Helge Helberg. And
1: Sita Rani Palomar. Helge, anybody who's exceptional at what they do becomes the something whisperer, the pie whisperer, the soup whisperer. (laughs) Yeah, it
0: started, I think, with the horse whisperer, but I just love the concept that you have such a connection that you can whisper the healing or the alignment or the beauty or the harmony into something, be it an animal or we had pie, that's right. Yes, we did. And it's really true. It's a true title. So... Today it's about soup whispering.
1: Today it is. It is about (laughs) paleo. And I'm excited about this show because we've given a lot of time to a lot of different diets, and paleo is one we've wanted to do for a very long time, and we've gotten many requests from you, our listeners, to talk about paleo, and we're going to do that today. But before we jump into the topic, we're going to start with the week's review. And this week, I wanted to just mull over this really moving topic. I was having dinner with a friend the other night and had made a comment about how I had never seen him pass judgment on someone. And he said that to some extent his motto has been to reserve judgment and replace that space with curiosity, and I thought, what a what a beautiful way to look at a situation that you might not understand. Replace judgment with curiosity and it sparked a really beautiful conversation about being more compassionate and what we can do to help our loved ones by showing interest via the questions we ask about a situation so a big thank you to this friend who's listening I know who's just been a wonderful role model for compassion and support
0: yeah it's a kind of mind-blowing concept when I heard about it because it's so open and expansive Um, Could be expensive too, but it's really expensive because I came from the place until I heard this, that there's actually good judgment. It's what keeps us alive or keeps us safe. Should I walk here or there or is this one uh, safe to eat or whatever it may be, but maybe that's caution, but I'm, I'm trying to understand what's the difference between caution and judgment because the moment you have caution, you're kind of judging the situation. And this is more about people, I think, right, about how we relate to one another, fill the space of judgment with curiosity. So I I love the general idea of curiosity. It's how actually animals and children behave when you observe them. They they don't have any preconceived notion. They walk up to each other and poke each other Mm -hmm. in the ear and in the eye and see what that does and... Um, you know, play with new toys as pets or just there's a curiosity about life that's there instead of judgment and that if that includes people and in other other things, other countries, other cultures, even more beautiful. So may that be the t- 2015 motto, fill the space of judgment with curiosity. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helge Halberg.
1: And I'm Sita Rani Palomar.
0: Again, our topic today is the paleo diet, with a heavy look on beautiful soups, with a wonderful guest and an amazing project. But as always, before we dive into that topic fully, here's our very own Citerani Palomar, aka Chef Sita, and her holistic bite. <laughs>
1: Well, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about a way to get on top of those New Year's resolutions to eat healthier with making a morning smoothie, because breakfast is such a critical foundation to having a healthier day. Today, I want to give another breakfast recipe for those of you out there who like the ease of making a smoothie, but just are not a liquid breakfast kind of person. This is going to change your mornings. If you are tired of skipping breakfast because you don't think you have time in the morning, there is another way to stay on track. And it is slow cooker oatmeal to go. We can make oatmeal out of, you know, pre-cooked oats or rolled oats or all of these fast things you can do. But this is a recipe that uses steel cut oats, which are a much denser nutrient grain. And because they generally take longer, they usually take about 45 minutes to cook. This ingenious idea of putting it in a slow cooker is actually going to do the cooking while you go to sleep. So this is what you do. Before you go to bed at night, get a small glass jar. It could be like a, a to-go container glass jar. It could even be the leftover glass jar from your honey or from you know the ball jars that you buy. And fill that with a quarter cup of steel cut oats and one cup of water or milk or non-dairy milk. I like to add a pinch of cinnamon and a pinch of sea salt to give it some flavor and some mornings I'll add a spoonful of maple syrup and coconut oil but you can do all of your seasonings later if you just want to start with the oatmeal and the water. So you put this into your small glass jar and cover it lightly with its lid and then place it into your slow cooker. You're actually placing this glass container into the slow cooker and you pour water into the slow cooker so it rises along the edge of this glass jar. going to create what's called a water bath, which is a gentle way to cook something. And you set your slow cooker on low heat for eight hours and go to bed. And while you're sleeping inside your tightly little packaged slow cooker, these oats are releasing all of their nutrients and getting creamy and delicious and in the morning all you have to do is open your slow cooker remove the glass jar grab a spoon and leave the house it is really that easy if you want to get creative you can certainly try different spices other than cinnamon you can add fruit or nuts or seeds in the morning or almond butter or peanut butter or coconut flakes there are so many ways to make this a creative breakfast that takes virtually no time at all and will help you stay on top of your cravings throughout the day. So get your metabolism going with a slow cooker oatmeal set it the night before you go and never be hungry in the morning again. That's this week's Holistic Bite.
0: Thank you, Chef Sita. Sita, it's so fascinating to me, the slow cooker idea. I don't know that there's something magic about it. Who figured out that it takes – I understand there's a chart, right? If you put in one pound of oatmeal and it tells you you need three cups of water in six hours. Or if you do it over eight hours, it, it you need – Three and a half cups of water. Is there? There's a chart to it, right? You well, don't just make it up, throw it in, and then no matter <laughs> the time, it just turns out.
1: Well, you can to some extent do it. Just make it up and go trial and error. The thing I wouldn't do trial and error with is meat, because you have to cook the internal temperature to a certain degree to avoid any kind of bacteria. But generally, you like it is with anything. You start with recipes. You start with doing research and find out what works. This recipe actually comes via a very dear friend who I worked with at Bowman College. Her name is Sarah Ackerman. And in addition to just being a phenomenally brilliant chef, she also has a background in, in physics. She's, she's a brilliant woman. And so she started coming to work every day with these ball jars of, of oatmeal. And I thought, Sarah, I would love that you get up early and make this. And she said, oh, no, I don't make this in the morning. I make this at night. She told me the whole recipe. And I've just been amazed by these individual portions of breakfast that cook while you sleep.
0: Yeah, fascinating. Again, at it, it, six, eight hours, it, it somehow, I don't know if it reads the moisture in the air within the slow cooker, but it just, when I had your mo- uh, slow cooker made oatmeal in the morning, it it was perfect. I mean, you can <laughs> even you. have it slightly al dente versus, you know, very creamy. Sure. Like You can pick and choose after hours and hours overnight doing the work. That's fascinating, and I actually love the this little tip that you use the storage containers that you will the the glass jars that you will take them to work or wherever you will go to school with you that you that you place it inside of that already. Oh yeah. So you don't mm-hmm. actually need to you don't need to do anything. You lift the lid of the slow cooker, you take it out and you're good to go. Exactly. That's as simple as it comes. <laughs> as it can be.
1: No more excuses than for skipping yeah. breakfast.
0: Fantastic. Wow, thank you for that. That's Chef Sita on her holistic bite. It's the beginning of the year, and our topic is diet. There are so many options, vegan, vegetarian, meatless Mondays, meatless Tuesdays, gluten-free, pescatarian, or paleo. So for today, we picked the paleo diet. We want to explore that, what it really stands for and means, and how that may work or may not work for you. And also, in conjunction with that, speak about a beautiful project, that our guest initiated around paleo soups. The paleo point of view, keeping it real, our topic in this hour. I'm Helge Helberg. And
1: I'm Sitarani Palomar. And
0: you, of course, are listening to An Organic Conversation. That and so much more when we come back right after the break. Stay tuned.
2: Are you a chef, have a catering business, or planning a party,
3: or simply just love organic produce? If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, walk right in to Earl's Organic Produce. Anyone can buy directly from us at wholesale prices. You don't have to be a natural food store to enjoy the freshest and most delicious organic produce. We are located on the San Francisco Produce Market at 2101 Gerald Avenue. We look forward to seeing you. Walk-in hours are Monday through Friday throughout the night from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Minimum purchase is one box or flat, cash
0: or checks only. For more information, visit EarlsOrganic.com. And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helber.
1: And I'm Rani Palomar.
0: Our topic in this hour is the paleo point of view, keeping it real. It's the beginning of the new year, and you may have made a few New Year's resolutions, including around your food and dietary choices. There are so many options, and if one of them is a paleo diet, and just to explore and see how that may work for you. This is the hour. Here in again, organic conversation, we're having a very special guest with us today, the author of a wonderful book, Bowls of Love, Paleo Soups for the Seasons, and also a holistic health coach who's joining us today from Connecticut, from Stamford, Connecticut, Ali Rakowski. Ali, are you with us?
4: I sure am, thank you.
0: (laughs) So great to have you. Connecticut, are you you freezing over there?
4: Yes, I have to say it's the coldest day of the winter so far. It was one degree when we woke up this morning here in Connecticut.
0: Oh my goodness. Wow, yes. And so Coast to Coast, this show is produced in the San Francisco Bay Area, but we get updates from throughout the country and even beyond, and it is a cold winter that is... Having uh, a a tight grip around us, and how apropos, how appropriate to have this hour with you where we talk about nourishing hot, beautiful soups. So, the
4: timing couldn't be better.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. We'll do a rerun of the show in July and see if anyone listens. <laughs>
1: Fortunately, she has summer recipes, too. So. Oh, but good. we'll get there. We'll get yes.
0: there. Allie, you just published a cookbook, Bowls of Love, with nearly 50 paleo soup recipes. Uh, additionally, there's a rich story, as it is with most books, around how you came to putting that together. What? Can you can you tell us what did you set out to do with Bolts of Love and how did you receive that project?
4: Sure, my pleasure. So, really, my goal was to publish a paleo cookbook based on the blog that I had started back in October of 2012. I had been living in Boston at the time, actually, next door to the biggest farmers market in the city, and. Every single weekend I would go out, experiment with new vegetables, many of which I had actually never seen before, and really started getting creative in the kitchen. After about one or two years of working on the blog, an old friend of mine, we actually were Girl Scouts together in elementary school, she's an author and she encouraged me to put these recipes into a cookbook. So I decided that I was going to take that idea and really bring it to a new level because I decided that I wanted to create all new and unique recipes for the book instead of using things that already existed in the blog. I also wanted to really do something a bit unique because there's a lot of very, very excellent paleo cookbooks out on the market right now, um, but I wanted to have it with a little bit of a real personal twist. So the first thing I focused on was strictly soups because soup has always been my favorite thing to cook, both for myself and for other people. I think a lot of people have really pleasant soul-warming memories when it comes to soup, uh, whether it was from their mom or grandma, or someone who made a bowl for them, enjoyed a bowl with them, anything like that. Um, And secondly, I really wanted to spread the word about how I learned to share love through food. Um, It's an interesting medium that I don't think a lot of people talk about, sharing love specifically through food. Um, But as I shadowed my mom and grandma in the kitchen for so many years, I really learned to appreciate the love and energy that gets put into the food that we eat in the kitchen and then started doing some exploration into the love and energy that gets put into that food before it even reaches our homes. So my best friend and I actually came up with the idea behind Bowls of Love during one of our brainstorming phone conversations, and I decided to ask 49 of the most special people in my life from all over the world to send me a bowl. And all of these people sent me the most incredibly beautiful, unique bowls. They each arrived on my doorstep day after day, and I
1: crafted
4: a unique recipe for each bowl and dedicated it to the person that gave me the bowl.
1: That is such a beautiful story. I mean, <laughs> the, the, the creativity in it is one thing, but when you're talking about sharing love through food and the fact that each one of these recipes was specifically made in mind with the person who sent you the bowl is just an all- Ultimate expression of love. How did
0: you? How did you do that, Ellie? You actually, you you know your friend. You know what they love. You know how active they are. That you know the gender. You know where they live. And and do you? How much do you? Did you take the the bowl into consideration? Did you actually look at the bowl for an hour or two? to ask the bowl what what wants to be what it wants to be filled with like how how do you do yeah, that in the creative process it was a process?
4: really fun experience and <laughs> i should say as a side note that i actually have my degree in mathematics which is highly not creative so <laughs> this was so exciting for me because it was a total 180 compared to what my career and educational experience has been so i did spend a lot of time with these bowls and interestingly i had even dreamt up what types of soups I would make for each person before the bowl even arrived, just based on, let's say, their favorite color, foods we had shared together in the past, just anything that kind of came to mind and once they arrived i really tried to make sure you know from a color texture standpoint that the soup would make sense um the book is actually seasonal so i split all of the bowls into four categories so i could have soups for each season even including some chilled soups for the spring and summer (laughs) Um, And really when it came down to it, I had all of these bowls, put them with the recipe that I created, and then to go on top of that, I actually wrote a story to go along with every single recipe about the person who gave me the bowl, and they're short, maybe one or two paragraphs each, but almost every story includes some special memory about food or eating together, sometimes funny, sometimes serious, Um, so it really kind of was a trifecta goal here. It ended up being a beautiful collection of photos. My photographer, Erica Gannett, was just fantastic, and it's beautiful to look at. It's also an assortment of heartwarming stories. And then, thirdly, it's just a paleo cookbook that's (laughs) full of these great recipes that you can happen to follow if that's the type of eating plan that you're kind of going along.
0: Sure. Are you still taking applications for new friendships? (laughs) Absolutely, yes. We're We're speaking with Allie Rakowski. She's a holistic health coach in Stamford, Connecticut, and also the author of Bold's of Love, Paleo Soups for the Seasons, and that's our focus in this hour of an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helber. And
1: I'm Sitarani Palomar. So, Ali, you said that you, if you follow this specific diet plan, then it's also a really helpful paleo cookbook, and that's what we want to dive into, which is the heart of the paleo point of view. What is this diet all about? It's a great
4: question, and I know paleo has been in the news for quite some time now with both a lot of fans and a number of critics. But to me, the heart of this diet or this eating plan or lifestyle, as many people call it, to me is really just eating real clean food. This is food that comes from our earth and is in its original form or as close to its original form as possible it's really not as complicated as some may think because in reality, you just have to try to get the majority of your food, whether it's from your local farmer's market or the perimeter of your grocery store, really trying to avoid foods that are highly processed, packaged things with refined sugars um, and really a lot of added ingredients that you know, some would argue we were never really meant to eat in the first place.
1: So, you know, my background is as a chef and particularly one who works in specialized diets. So I've studied everything from raw to gluten-free to Ayurvedic to macrobiotic. And there are a lot of diets that have this philosophy about real, close to the earth, unprocessed. You know, you could place that over a handful of different titles. And the thing that has mystified me about paleo is that at least in the interactions I've had with people who follow a paleo diet plan, so much of it, it appears to be high animal protein focused, low complex carbohydrate focused. Is that actually the case?
4: Yes and no, I'll say. So I would say that um, a low carbohydrate diet is certainly encouraged in the paleo view. That said, I think that in the media with a lot of the bloggers and the different articles that have been written about the paleo diet, I think that it really does get a bad rap in certain senses. So you might have seen even cartoons about the paleo diet where people are eating plates that have five pounds of bacon (laughs) with a side of a hamburger, um, minus the bun, of course. (laughs) So that when I'm dealing with the paleo diet personally as a cook and on my blog and working with health coaching clients, I approach it in a bit of a different way. So there are, certainly animal sources here, so I am a meat eater myself, focusing on lean proteins and wild-caught fish, grass-fed beef, things like that, but in reality, when I'm building my plate, I'm building it with, let's say, 25% or 30% of my plate with a lean, really humanely sourced piece of meat or fish, along with a significant amount of vegetables. You know, it's not always portrayed in that way, but I would say that now that I've actually switched to a paleo and mostly paleo diet over the past few years, I've actually decreased my meat intake as compared to how I used to eat previously.
0: It's so funny how, uh, you know, some some things get a bad rap. We just, in the beginning of the show, we were talking about replacing Judgment. judgment with curiosity. And mm-hmm. as almost with everything, when it first comes out before it's really understood by mainstream media or mainstream society, you know, vegans can't do this and this and this or there's there's just a lot of debate that is, you know, paleo diets include a cup of lard in the morning. <laughs> it, from what I hear, it is actually what is advocated considering meat or no meat but the the unadulterated unprocessed as the least amount of processing in your diet is is what's advocated in most health schools it seems like whether you choose to be vegetarian or vegan on top of it but paleo for me when i hear you speak sounds like it's the least alterated food possible and that, for many of us, we believe that's, um, I'm a certified nutritionist, that is what we were taught is the healthiest diet as a basis, whatever your individual choices might be um, of, of food items, is the, the healthiest basis for optimal personal health.
4: Yeah, and I would agree with that completely. And to be com- to be totally honest, when I first experimented with the paleo diet myself, it was almost three years ago now. I definitely was a bit unsure what are the different side dishes and the different snacks that I can eat throughout the day and what are good items for breakfast because I really had to switch the way that I thought about the foods that I was eating. And because of that, at first, I did tend to eat larger portions of protein and have snacks like, you know, make my own beef jerky or turkey jerky as an example, uh, things like that. But in reality, what I learned is over time, once I did more research and became, became more of just an experimenter in the kitchen, that really does not need to be a main portion of your diet. And I think, you know, as with all of my health coaching clients, I tell them, I don't believe there is one diet for the masses. I believe, as you said, that we need to limit that processed food, limit the sugar people are eating, uh, things that we know are having harmful effects on the body, but really give a customized approach to each person depending on how their body can live a holistic sense of health, because that really, I believe, is different for every individual.
0: Yeah, sounds like it would be possible to be on a vegetarian diet and also call yourself being on a paleolithic diet, even though while maybe the exception, it it's possible to follow a paleo diet and be vegetarian, right? <laughs>
4: Yeah, it's definitely possible there is such a thing as a vegetarian paleo diet. I've actually met a few people who do follow that. I will say that it's certainly a challenge because most of the sources of protein in the paleo diet do come from animal products and specifically meat. So some paleo vegetarians focus on eating a lot of eggs um, and supplement that with a lot of leafy greens and, you know, more substantial servings of vegetables some folks who try that and may feel that they don't have enough protein Add certain things back in like soy, quinoa, lentils as examples, which none of which are actually part of a traditional paleo diet. But this allows them to increase their protein intake while still achieving a gluten free diet and removing dairy, refined sugar, and other key inflammatory foods that the diet is, you know, traditionally removing.
0: Great, sure, yes. Well, we we'll t- want to take a quick break, but we want to come back with many more questions in our. Topic today, keeping it real, the paleo point of view with a wonderful guest, as we all know now, Ali Rakowski, which sounds like a really famous baseball player from the (laughs) 70s, but um, you are uh, nowadays top of your line author and holistic health coach. And you just released the book, Bowls of Love, Paleo Soups for the Seasons. Um, Ali is joining us from Stamford, Connecticut in this hour, and we'll be back with so much more. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. And
1: I'm Sitarani Palomar. And stay tuned. We'll be right back. Fry Vineyards Mendocino County Award Winning Wines without added sulfites. Available at grocery stores and online at frywine.com. That's F R E Y W I N E.com. Spicely Organics offers more than 200 different organic spices and dried herbs to choose from. Classics like oregano and cumin, exotics like aji amarillo, and blends like tikka masala. Spicely helps nourish your body while embracing sustainable, eco-friendly, and ethical practices always. Take wellness into your own hands and creativity into your own kitchen. Spicely Organics. Teas, spices, and dried herbs at your natural food store and online at spicely.com.
0: And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helbert. And
1: I'm Sitarani Palomar.
0: Our topic in this hour is the paleo point of view, keeping it real, with a wonderful guest, Ali Rakowski, who's joining us from Stamford, Connecticut. Her website is intersectioncoaching, intersectioncoaching.com. She is a holistic health coach and also the author of our topic in this hour, Bowls of Love, Paleo Soups for the Seasons, as we are looking at the in and outs of a paleo diet, what it means, what is part of it, what is not, and also her lovely new book of creating uh, winter and summer soup recipes with a paleo twist.
1: And fall and spring. (laughs) <laughs> yes, <fall> in Spring. <laughs> so Ali, just before the break, we were starting to get into some of the specifics of what is on the allowed list of a paleolithic diet. And I know that it's not really black and white because people, there there is some gray zone as people customize a paleo diet that works for them. But you were talking about what the traditional foods are in a paleo diet, that things like soy and quinoa and lentils, particularly quinoa and lentils being whole foods that are very from the earth, close to nature, unadulterated, but not necessarily on the diet. I'm wondering, is that because complex carbohydrates aren't part of the traditional diet? Actually the main reason for those
4: exclusion is that those are considered inflammatory foods. So I think other than being this real whole food diet that we were talking about earlier of these foods really all coming directly from the earth in their natural form, the other key thing about the paleo diet is reducing inflammatory foods wherever possible. So, the amount of inflammation that comes from eating those foods really differs person to person. That said, eating legumes and grains, dairy products, et cetera, these types of foods do cause an inflammatory response within the digestive system. And given the fact that the digestive system takes up the majority of our immune system, we actually are trying to reduce the amount of inflammation by following this diet, which then in turn actually can be used to help cure a lot of different ailments that are inflammation-related.
1: But what about the non-glutinous grains that tend to be anti-inflammatory grains, things like millet? Do you you see that on the paleo-allowed food list? Actually, no. So in the traditional paleo diet, all grains are excluded
4: because... There still is a level of inflammation from these foods more so than let's say eating your kale or your lean meats just as an example. That said, as I mentioned earlier, I personally believe that it really has to be a customized approach. You know, if some, if a person started following the paleo diet and their digestion and their well-being, they didn't feel perfectly healthy without the inclusion of some of those other whole foods, as a health coach, I would recommend putting one of those in, experimenting with it, and really seeing how you feel. But to answer the question, no, all of those grains, whole grains or otherwise, are all excluded from the paleo diet traditionally.
0: What about um, root vegetables? Maybe there's a differentiation between different groups, but are sweet potatoes and potatoes and rutabaga and those things allowed?
4: Uh, yes, they are. So there will be some folks that say no potatoes. And it really is true that there are varying definitions and varying uh, rules, I suppose. But from a traditional paleo diet that I think probably the majority of folks do follow, root vegetables would certainly be included. So. Personally, in the fall and winter when I'm coming up with a dinner plan, I may have a piece of salmon that I'm roasting, have some sort of squash or root vegetable puree, and then a side of whatever leafy green happens to be in season at the moment. So you can really use those root vegetables and those heartier squashes as examples to replace that carbohydrate that you may be missing from removing the quinoa or millet or rice, you know, whatever you may be eating historically.
1: So, and you, th- there's actually a very memorable recipe in your cookbook, Bowls of Love. That's a purple soup that I believe uses <laughs> purple potato. Is that correct?
4: Um, it's a, yeah, purple cauliflower, oh, purple cauliflower is what really gives it the color.
1: Yes, beautiful. So kale. Lean meats, sweet potatoes, and root vegetables. What else is on this list? Olives, avocado, fruit, nuts, and nut butter. What else is on the allowed list for paleo diet? Yes, diets? yes, and yes. So, okay. everything
4: that you just said, so really all fruits, all vegetables, all of these different meats that we're talking about, you know, ideally um, in the true paleo diet, you're really only bringing meats into your diet if they are humanely sourced. You know, we really are trying to go after organic grass-fed beef, pasture-raised chicken, wild-caught fish. Um, It really does make a difference, and that's what the traditional diet is going after. Um, Other than that, the nuts, seeds, as you mentioned, unprocessed oils, Eggs, that's really the majority of the list, which at first can maybe seem a bit restrictive, but I think uh, once you actually take the tour of the grocery store or your local market and you start picking, what I try to do is just whatever's in season and looks good, you pick a certain ingredient, and then I try to build a meal around that. You know, rather than just trying to, let's say, take my an old recipe for lasagna and recreated the paleo way. Sure. So it's certainly possible. <laughs>
0: Great. We're speaking with Ali Rakowski, holistic health coach and author of a beautiful book, Bowls of Love, Paleo Soups. For the seasons, and yes, all four seasons are covered here on Anagani Conversation. I'm Helge Helberg,
1: and I'm Sita Rani Palamar.
0: Ali, you were talking just a few minutes ago about substitutes for yeah. you know what people conventionally love when they watch movies: popcorn, mm-hmm. for example, or snacks, side dishes, or rice, mac rice, and cheese. mac and cheese, <laughs> rice, <laughs> rice pudding. They're just a few things that are maybe our favorites that come up how would we uh, supplement those what do you how, how has your diet changed when you watch a movie what do you eat
4: well so many things of course <laughs> <laughs> um, but really I have had a really great time experimenting with the substitutions I think that's been one of the most interesting things um, that you can see in the history of my blog so one thing particularly you brought up was rice pudding. So my best friend and I used to eat rice pudding more than I should admit on this podcast a lot. <laughs> and so I told her that she basically said that she would not approve of the paleo diet of me following it unless I found a substitution for rice pudding. So I was off to experiment and actually was able to make an imitation rice pudding using chia seeds. Because mm. as you probably know, when chia seeds are soaked, they they really get a thicker gelatinous texture and using the chia seeds and coconut milk you can actually achieve something it's not the same, but it is certainly a similar substitute to the to the beautiful
1: original that is rice pudding. Did that satisfy your friend's craving?
4: Um, well, let's just say she still eats rice pudding, <laughs> um, but she I think she appreciated the effort. So mm-hmm. she did like it. Um, it is different. I think one of the things to really focus on is that people are trying the Paleo diet for a variety of reasons. So one could be weight loss, but a lot of reasons that people start and stick with the Paleo diet is for health reasons. As I mentioned, it's an anti-inflammatory diet. And so if you have celiacs or asthma, even arthritis, um, different skin conditions, allergies, the list is really a mile long. This diet, by following it, can help really heal a lot of those things. For some people, even cure it. So I think depending on the person's situation, if you could eat the substitute and feel better, it really is worth the trade-off, you know, depending on your individual situation.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting to to hear. I mean, we, we come from this place of, well, I could never it could never not eat this and what is the next best that comes to it and for the next years we're comparing what we're missing with with what is you know kind of almost there but not quite instead of how this motto of the show is kind of evolving for for this week is fill the space of judgment with curiosity. I think chia seed pudding has its right on its own. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's an amazing, d- delicious dessert. And if you have health consequences eating rice pudding and you don't eating chia, I wouldn't even consider it. It's a substitute. It's a, it's, you know, it's really, a beautiful dessert, um, really, with a right to 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 be there on its own, not just as a substitute to rice pudding. Um, what are a couple other side dishes or or things you you replaced? I, I can see that you know roasted. Uh, what are the little Brussels sprouts? Roasted yeah. Brussels sprouts is always. It's just it's new up and coming in a way. Many restaurants are feature this now as a starter, and it's literally just a small bowl of. Uh, Brussels sprouts plucked apart and roasted with some olive oil and some spices. So delicious. Again, might not replace a potato chip, but it sounds like even potato chips are, are okay under the paleo <laughs> diet, which is a big Depending relief. On how
4: they're prepared, I suppose. Yeah, it's a big be, yes. relief
0: for me. But um, what else have you found?
4: Well, uh, you know, if we're talking about the chip arena, I can tell you that I make kale chips, beet chips, sweet potato chips, really chips out of anything that can be sliced (laughs) or pulled apart. Um, This is so incredibly easy. You can use a mandolin if you have one or just cut very thin slices with a knife. And what I do is just toss them with a little bit of olive oil, coconut oil, whatever I have in the house, and some spices, if it's sweet potato, maybe even a bit of cinnamon, Um, I even make fries out of parsnips with the same type of oils and spices, and you just roast them in the oven. And the amazing thing is, even when I serve these to children in my family, the response is incredible. And unlike the the original, they're often very colorful and crispy, Mm -hmm. and there's just more texture and excitement around it. And I think that if you really incorporate that into your kitchen on a regular basis, you can get the people in your family and in your household excited about it because there's just more to it when you're putting the love into the food and it's exciting to look at and exciting to eat as opposed to just ripping open a bag of chips and demolishing it in 30 seconds. Yeah,
0: Well, it seems to be working for you. That's for sure. I like to think
1: so. (laughs) Yes, the excitement and the love come through so clearly. Thank you for being on this hour and finally giving some time to a topic that our listeners have been asking for more information about for a long time. I certainly feel more enlightened about the paleo point of view.
0: Absolutely. Yes. Thank you, Allie, for joining us today. Wonderful to have you.
1: pleasure. Thank you for having me. That's (laughs)
0: Allie Rakowski, author and holistic health coach who just released a book, Bolts of Love, Paleo Soups for the Seasons. Her website is intersectioncoaching.com, intersectioncoaching.com. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helge Helbert.
1: And I'm Sitarani Palomar,
0: And we're staying with a mostly paleo look at what's, in, what's out there with our upcoming segment of What's in Season, What's Happening at the Produce Dog, that and more when we come back right after the break. Stay tuned.
1: Produce is ever-changing, seasons coming and going. At Earl's Organic, we have been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. Since 1988, Earl's Organic Produce has been establishing strong relationships with growers and developing a deep understanding of the seasons, so you can offer the most delicious organic produce to your customers, staff, and clients year-round. For organic produce, visit Earl's Organic Produce at earlsorganic.com. That's earlsorganic.com.
2: mm <laughs>
0: And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helberg.
1: And I'm Sitarani Palomar.
0: And that was our main focus, the paleo point of view in this hour, keeping it real with Ali Rakowski, again, holistic health coach and author of Bowls of Love, Paleo Soups for the Seasons. Check it out, intersectioncoaching.com as well for her holistic health coach practice, intersectioncoaching.com. Wow, so much energy. So much energy. <laughs> so I wonder
1: how much that is the paleo diet. All, it's all, all of it. It's all,
0: all, of, it. Yeah, yeah, all of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: Well, it was great to finally get a summary of what this diet is about, and what I took away from our interview with her was that the paleo diet is about unprocessed, anti-inflammatory foods, which is a really simple summary and, and actually shows a wide range of creativity within it, and and her, her piece of advice that I love so much was... this. This is about building a diet around an ingredient. Pick out an ingredient and build a meal around it. That was really simple advice for how to dip your toes into the paleo pool.
0: Yep, very much so. Beautiful. And interesting how, again, so many diets are so misunderstood mm. or not explained mm-hmm. right or scrutinized. And uh, again, as the motto of the day, uh, replace... Reserve judgment. Oh. <laughs> uh, replace, ju- replace... No, fill the space of judgment with curiosity. So... Yes, we, all, we invite you to all eat more unadulterated um, foods, no matter what you call the diet, but that's just great. That's Ali Rakowski, and he is now, from Ali to Earl, he is uh, with a paleo twist about what is in season this week. And with us now, of course, the voice of the San Francisco produce market and the voice of the organic produce movement throughout the country, Earl Herrick, owner and founder of Earl's Organic Produce. Earl, are you with us?
3: Good day,
1: (laughs)
0: Elia and Sita. Hey there. So great. We just had a wonderful interview with a guest speaking about paleo, which is, Mm. of course, as you know, other than lean meats, it's really foods in their most unadulterated form, All the vegetables, all the fruits, nuts and seeds, no grains and nothing really processed at all. Sounds like a great diet as a segue into a paleo twist on what's in season. (laughs) It's kind of the end of the year and it's uh, end of January and it seems like it's it's one of those tweener times where spring vegetables are not coming on and... Winter has some really good stored things and some winter vegetables, but we also got smacked with the cold. What is in season, if you walk the docks, what's really sticking out?
3: The big thing is the colorful citrus Ah. raiment, And you get these beautiful yellows and and deep golds and bright oranges and different shades Mm. of of that burnt orange. And and this year in particular, er, we're seeing some interesting aspects come to fruit, if you will. You know, we've been in, in some drought, and, and this year we've, we're getting a little bit of relief. It still remains to be seen if we're going to continue to get some wet weather or not. But the, the bad part of the drought is trees are being lost. Acreage is not being able to get irrig- irrigated, and, and trees are being lost. But on, on, the, on the plus side of that, what we can take away is what, what is being used is the drought has put the trees under stress, which produces a sweeter piece of fruit and which is, is lower in acid, so it's got some really nice sugars to it. The sizing is a little bit smaller, too, because without the without the uh, irrigation. So in that sense, it, the fruit that is there is of really fine quality, uh, be it, it maybe a little small. best way to, to manage your citrus is if you're going to eat it in a day or so, leave it out on your counter. If you're going to have it a little bit longer than that, keep it in kind of a warmish, refrigerator. I'm not sure if that's contradictory or not. <laughs> um, you want to go, you want to think about 50 degrees, so maybe that's more like a root cellar or maybe your your back uh, your back doorstep or a cool a room that you don't uh, heat up too well. That's the, that's the best way to handle your citrus. For me, what I do is I buy a case of oranges that I juice and leave them out of my front porch out of the rain and it, you know, the temperature in the winter in California, you got 45 to 60 pretty good temperature for citrus.
0: Yeah, Mm and I'm sure the raccoonies love that too. (laughs) Sita, you you had another comment.
1: Well, actually, you know, (laughs) growing up in the Midwest for me, I don't feel like there were a lot of citrus varieties. Now, I don't know how much of that was because of my location or how much had to do with the fact that all the different varieties have become more popular in the last decade plus. That's when we've kind of gotten to be more artisan consumers. So I'm curious to talk about which types of citrus are really good right now. How are the Valencia? How's the navel? Yeah. How's the caracara? What about the ruby red grapefruits? Can you tell us what's really <laughs> good right now?
3: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Great question and, and a great direction to go, Sita. You know, and and I grew up in Ohio right next to you in Indiana, mm-hmm. and all of our citrus came from Florida But then. Yeah. And you're right, it, things have changed a lot, and we are also kind of focused on California. Right now, you want to be looking at blood oranges. This mm-hmm. is really a great time of year, too, because we have that Great cold snap in the beginning of January, which really what that does is bring great color not only to the exterior of the fruit but also to the interior, and it also uh, imparts uh, great sugars. So blood oranges, Cara Cara, which is also known as kind of a pink navel, navel's right now. Uh, they'll be go- they'll be good probably through March, April, May, depending on a- any late rains that we get. Um, Some interesting little things like kumquats are good right now, and some late varietal pieces like uh, page mandarin, a Fremont, uh, an encore we still have to look forward to. These are off-takes on different types of mandarins. You know, think uh, satsumas or clementines, which have already had their day by February 1, but these are kind of the next varieties that come on. So grapefruits are—you're not going to find the star rubies right now, but you're going to find a, a, a lighter color interior fruit. It just we refer to it as, as the ruby grapefruit. I like that because it has really nice uh, uh, mild flavor. The coloration isn't as dark, but it's got some nice good flavor to it. Gosh. Uh, and also uh, lemons, of course, are around. And Myers, you're still so good with Myers. It's uh, that seasonal mild, uh, thin-skinned. A high color uh, lemon that's around.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, wow. Let me see. There's another one or two gold nuggets, royal mandarins. These are all. So in the in the next uh, couple of weeks, you you should have a full array as you're walking through your departments of just rows and rows of different kinds. And this is the time where you can really feel free to go. Do you mind giving me a sample of that, George, or uh, Sue? Uh, how about a sample of that? Use your produce sure. people. Uh, you really. Now, one thing you want to look for is if you, if you bring them home, cut them cross-section and, and look at the, the cross-section of the piece of fruit, and that will give you a lot of indication of what, what, do you, what you have. If it's dried out, you're going to see little dry cells. If, if you don't see uh, real defined uh, uh, segments in between and uh, in the interior, that's a really ripe piece of fruit, too.
1: I, I love those advice those pieces of advice for inside the store because a lot of times the inside the, the fruit. No, inside the store I'm oh, talking yeah. about because yeah. because a lot of times at the in the produce market they'll show you cut pieces of fruit and now I know what to look for. Not just oh I see what color it is, but actually I can look no. and see yeah, if definition. there's some drying. And and you're right, Earl, citrus is, is the number one thing. I do not buy citrus unless I've been able to get a sample because I love citrus and I've had so much subpar citrus in my life that it's just not worth it to get one that I won't eat that's going to sit on my countertop. So, And there are so many varieties. You just find the one that has the right sweet acid balance that you enjoy and then buy as much of it as you can eat in a couple of days.
0: Yeah, and you usually never yep. buy just one orange. Like who buys uh, one orange? Yeah. People buy two, three, and if they're not great, then you know that's not – that's not good. Earl, if people don't have a root cellar, uh, would you say counter over fridge or fridge over mm. countertop?
3: Well, you know, it's one thing I should know more about, and that is the refrigeration placement and temperatures. But generally speaking, there is an area of the refrigerator that is warmer or less cold. Uh-huh. But I, re- I I say that over over the counter. Yes. Unless, um, unless you have, I mean, for me, for example, I go to work and there's nobody else out. How- home and I turn my heat off and my and my my kitchen gets pretty cool. Yes. And, and and that might work really well. You want to think 50 to 60 degrees is really good temperature for holding citrus.
0: Yeah, and and as with always the fruit in winter since they might have gotten some frost early on, it's good to eat, if they're good, eat them eat them within a couple of days, right? Always.
3: Ab- absolutely. And I did want to re- go back to something That see that you had asked about Valencia's. This is the time of year where Valencias are. uh, If they're going to be out of season, it's now. Mm. I mean, you can always find something around, but the best ones are not around yet. The California Valencia is considered their summer uh, fruit, summer citrus, and that Mm. really starts around April. We can get some stuff from Mexico, which is okay, but it's a little paler. It's it's uh, low in acid, not real high in in sugars. And um, that's really for—I use that as a mix with—I love to, to juice Valencia's and Mineola's or grapefruits and, and tangerines, and you get a real interesting, uh, complex uh, uh, drink of citrus at that point.
1: It's well, you
3: and this is really the time.
1: You yeah, are you, the citrus-juicing king, man. Yeah, when uh, you, could, you turn because, this
0: on to, Mixing things, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So so
1: check out our site, com. You can expect to see very soon a couple of citrus videos with Mr. Earl Herrick himself. We're going to be looking at the different types that he's talked about so you can know how to identify them and pick them up and bring them home. And also how to balance different citruses to get a good juice yeah, yeah because earl
0: does one thing he he doesn't just use juice four or five of the same type you you make a blend earl right you yeah. told it us a you. while ago which is such an incredible concept of kind of making your own wine you use two <laughs> one one really acid and one very sweet and then one that has a great color to make yep. your customized Earl Herrick orange juice. <laughs> That's just amazing. Great. <laughs> yeah, make,
3: make, make it your own. Take your own <laughs> chip to it. That there, this is the best time to do that, is there's so much out there. And don't think that these little pieces of fruit won't impart great flavor, because they certainly do. So feel free to get at it.
0: Fantastic. After them. Great.
3: Right. Thank you Thanks, so Earl. much. We'll
1: talk yeah. to you next week. <laughs> All right. Talk All to right, you soon. You Thanks so much. Bye. bye bye.
0: That's Earl Herrick, of course, of Earl's Organic Produce, the voice of the produce market in San Francisco, and really a spokesperson for organic produce throughout the country at this point with his amazing expertise on anything produce really
1: anything produce and today it was citrus <laughs> boy i'm so excited Yum. to go out and get some of those things kumquats yeah. and the Paige ruby mandarins. ruby grapefruit yeah
0: i had a ruby grapefruit just a uh, 3 weeks back that was just you could have taken photoshots and photoshots it's just amazing mm defined and all the cell walls were just so clear and the color was throughout rich and it was wet but dense with flavor and heavy for its size and wow yeah amazing flavor sounds like quite the experience
1: (laughs) (laughs) well tune in for more experiences that's what we had for you this week and we'll see you again soon an organic conversation is a proud production of the organic media network associate producer kristen ponger
0: If you missed parts of this show or for any other episode, go to iTunes or anorganicconversation.com. And for more information, health tips, recipes, and your daily dose of inspiration, please follow us on facebook.com forward slash anorganicconversation. We are your hosts, Helga Helberg, Mark Mulcahy,
1: and Sita Ronnie Palomar.
0: And we'll be back right here, same place, same time, next week. See you then. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.